the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Good morning. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online and those who are joining us in person. We're thankful for every single one of you. Um, Today we continue our exploration of love as God defines love. Uh, the, The Greek word agape, we use it because there isn't an exact equivalent in English. Love can mean so many things. Quick catch up. It's been a bit. Last week was a great message from Wes. Really appreciated that. But today, we are going to jump right back in where we started. And the last, where we were last time was this. Love is always active and it's always relational. The biblical definition of love. It's not just something you feel. It's not something you just kind of experience. It's something you do. And it's not something you can do alone. Uh, You can feel things alone. You can experience things alone. You can't love God's way without getting your feet wet and your hands dirty in the real life of the people around you. My family loves to hike. That's a true statement. But in the biblical sense, it's not entirely true because we don't hike every day. The people at REI don't know us by name. Uh, we, we, don't, we haven't been on all the beautiful trails that are around here yet. Um, if you really want to know somebody who really loves hiking, talk to John Bilbrey. He's here today, I believe. And uh, John Bilbrey is in the entire um, AT, the entire thing among many other great hikes. Uh, it's something we love, though, and we're getting better at it. We're doing it more often, and little by little, the more that we hike as a family, the more we take the dogs and get out there and just do it the more that becomes true of us. And that's exactly how it is with love, how it is with God's love. The more we do it, the more like Jesus we become, the more true it becomes that we are like God who is love. So we good? Is that tracking so far? That's the foundation we've been building on. One more time, let's look at this diagram that we get actually from Paul, who tells us that it, when we love God's way, some things are always happening and some things don't ever happen. Uh, love is always patient, kind. It celebrates truth. Love shelters others and trusts others and expects the best out of others and out of the relationship. It perseveres. Love never is proud or rude or selfish or irritable or envious or boastful. It does not hold grudges or delight in sin, and it never gives up. Love outwears anything. Do you have any clothes that you've had for a long time, anybody? A a couple years ago, I remember Tom Berwinkle came out in a shirt that, it was from a camp in 1991, and it was pristine. It was, it, was like, it was like when we made the shirt. That thing was like, that's my version of that shirt was like a rag that I worked on the car within a year. Like I just, I wear stuff out so much. And if anything ever lasts for a long time, I'm so impressed. The one thing that really never wears out is God's love. That's really the heart of this passage. That's really what we're looking at today. And I'd like you to read this verse out of that passage out loud with me right now. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And when you say all things, it's a Greek word, panta, and it means more of an approach than it means 
literally all things. At camp this week, we talked about sometimes we misuse that word literally. It doesn't mean that when it says, for example, believes all things. We'll talk more about this in a second. It doesn't mean you believe every single thing. Some things aren't true. That's not what it means. It means that in all things, you are a believer. In all things, you keep believing that love is the best way to go even when it hurts and even when it doesn't seem to work. Does that make sense? It's an approach. It's how we do that. Um, All things that always describe God's approach. Both Paul and Jesus actually uh, contrast uh, complete commitment to God with selfishness and worry. We see this several times in Paul's writing. In Jesus, you see this idea of all things several different ways. For example, he says that Uh, When someone joins the kingdom, it's like somebody finds treasure in a field and then trades all that they have. That's that same word so that they can have that thing. Jesus also used the same word when he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. It's the same thing. It means all of the above. One place that most translations don't use the word all, but it's also in there is actually a very common one. It's uh, Matthew seven twelve, where it, most most translations say something like this: "Do unto others as you would have others do unto you." Ever heard that one? But in the if I translated it almost word for word out of Greek, it would read more like this. This is the John Pryor translation. Take it or leave it. This is just, but just if. You, just taking it right out of the Greek, it would say something like this. So also everything, there's that word again. So also everything you might desire that people would do to you, you do, here's the word again, all those things to them. For this is the law and the prophets. You can see why they translate it a little differently sometimes because that's a little confusing. What do you mean it is the law and the prophets? Well, it is the law and the prophets the same way that God is love. The same way that when we live God's love, you could say that the church is love. If you as an individual actually eventually, somehow, little by little, people could say you are love. Little by little as that starts to define us, it becomes everything. It becomes what we do. It becomes who we are, how we roll. It's a perspective on life. I don't have a quote up there because this is my paraphrase, but C.S. Lewis said that he believes in Christ the same way he believes in the sun. Uh, He believes in the sun, not just because he can see the sun, but because the sun helps him see everything else. And his faith in Christ is the same way, that through Christ, he sees clearly how everything else actually works. Ultimately, Christ has to be the glasses, has to be the approach, the perspective that we all have. But if we're doing it Christ's way, it's going to be love. We're going to see the world through the lens of love. We're going to have love-colored glasses on 24-7. The contrast, like I said before, is all the anxiousness and all the worry that most of us still struggle with. Jesus said, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. There's that other 
There's that word again. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. In other words, look at it my way. Put love first. Put my stuff first. All the other stuff, somehow or another, will work it out. Paul used the same idea in 1 Corinthians 9 when he says, To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And again, he's not talking literally here. You you don't become a sinner to reach sinners. You don't become a murderer to reach murderers. Are you following me on that? You don't, he's not saying you literally become all things, but he's saying in every way I can, my approach to life is I'll, I'll compromise if there has to be a compromise. I will bend. I will be flexible. I will not eat that thing at that meal. I will not drink that thing at that meal. I will not wear that thing or I will wear that thing that day. If that's the thing that's going to keep them from even listening to me and letting me have a chance to share what really is true and what really matters, sure, I'll wear my hat or take my hat off or I'll... Are you following me? I will do my best. I will do my best to try to do that. Because in all things, my perspective is love. That's Ponta. The second big idea in this passage, where it says it bears all things, it believes all things, it trusts all things, is that we face life together. Would you say that out loud with me? We face it all together. Again, you can't love God's way without there being some sort of a relationship. You can't love, forgive, any of those things without being in the mix with someone else. And when it says that love covers all things, I think it's really important we understand that one too. It's not at all talking about denial. It's not talking about deception. It's not covering up. It's covering in the sense of comfort. It's shelter. It's um, tucking somebody in at night. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's that kind of covering. You're covering so that they have protection against the elements, protection against the storms of life. You are being there. And that's what it means when it says pantastege, it bears all things. It's more about enduring or suffering alongside someone. No matter what, you're doing it with them. You're enduring it with them them. You're comforting them as much as you possibly can. It's, you're camping, it gets cold, the other person's, uh, the other person's um, sleeping bag gets all wet, you all, nobody's going to sleep tonight, come over here, get all the blankets that are still dry, we're going to huddle and stay warm, we'll get through this night together. It's that kind of a thing, to bear all things. Again, Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. This whole summer we've been trying to tell as many love stories as possible. Stories not about who's going to end up with who at the end or anything like that. Not rom-com stories, but stories where people live out this kind of love. One of my personal favorites is Joseph from the New Testament. We actually talked about Joseph in the Old Testament not too long ago, and he was one of my favorites too. But Joseph, the guy that was Jesus' stepdad, 
Joseph, Joseph, the one that God chose to take care of Mary, to legally give Jesus a last name, to legally shelter Jesus and take care of him. Can you imagine being Joseph? Can you imagine the, the pressure? Can you imagine the stress? Can you imagine, like, I, I just have this image of him. We always see the cute little manger scenes and him and Mary and Jesus and the shepherds and everything. I, I just know that at least two or three times during the middle of that night, he, he kind of snuck out and it's just going, you know, any other dads out there know what I'm talking about? Moms too. I mean, Mary had it too, but I'm talking about Joseph right this minute. But man, this guy, he gave up his career for a while and God provided for them. That's what the frankincense and myrrh was all about. Uh, And the gold and all that. It also had symbols, but it took care of them. It was the most valuable stuff in the world. So he, he didn't have a job. He had to move to a different country and he was willing to do that. He gave up his reputation. He gave up pretty much everything to play that role. As cool as it was and as thankful as we are looking back, he, he gave up everything he had to do that. It didn't seem like the right thing to anybody else at the time. Sometimes it's not going to look like that when we love, when we bear all things, when we stand in the gap for the people that we love, when we jump in there not to cover over their sin, but to cover them, to shelter them, to protect them. People are going to go, why? Are you sure? But that's part of what we have to do. And as always, the ultimate love story is Jesus Christ himself. The ultimate example is Jesus. Even in the Old Testament, back in Isaiah, you see the image of the suffering servant. In Psalm 22, which he himself quoted from the cross, The idea that this Messiah, the one who would come to save us, would suffer for our sake. That he would have to do stuff that was incredibly painful and incredibly miserable and incredibly terrible. And all the stuff that we deserve, but he would do that. And Jesus himself said it over and over, we should love others as he loved us. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in his very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing and took on the form of a servant, became obedient even unto death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has exalted him and given him a name that is above Every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I encourage you to go back and keep reading through the Gospels. I don't know how many times you've heard those stories, how many times you've sat down and said, I'm going to get through Matthew this month. Keep going back because we've got to see what Jesus did. We've got to hear what Jesus said. We've got to watch that because that is our model. That's what love looks like. That's how it works. And when we keep coming back to him, what he did, what he said, what he told us, what he commanded, how he explained things, that's it. 
One of the most um, gripping modern uh, stories uh, that shows love to me is the story of Team Hoyt. Has anybody ever heard of them? Awesome. In 1977, a dad named Dick Hoyt uh, began running. He wasn't a runner. He didn't like running. And he learned how to swim. He had just never gotten around to it. Because his son, who had severe physical disabilities, when they found out finally through some cool technology that he could actually talk, think and talk, and instantly he knew all this stuff that they didn't know he knew, one of his favorite things in the world was sports. And he wanted, he heard about a guy who had just gotten paralyzed and they were having a benefit run for him. And he said, Dad, would you help me run in that race? Would you push me in that race? We need to encourage him, let him know that there's life on the other side of his paralysis. So his dad said, I guess so. It's a five-mile race. He, he, they figured it out. They completed it. They went from there. Team Hoyt eventually uh, became Ironman uh, competitors. They completed over 1,000 races. 240 of those were triathlons. He would run pushing his son. He would swim pulling him in a little inflatable boat. And he would uh, ride on a special two-person bike. They did the Boston Marathon over and over and over and said that was their favorite. Eventually, both of them passed fairly recently, um, the last couple of years, but they have a foundation that keeps going on. And I love their story so much. As a, as a dad, I'm sucking it in, trying not to get emotional. But it was a two-way street. I love the quote that the dad, Dick, said. He said, Rick is my motivator. He inspires me. To me, he's the one that's out there competing and I'm just loaning him my arms and my legs so that he can compete. I, I, I've seen very few things that illustrate both directions there. What it looks like when we bear all things. When we truly comfort each other. When our perspective is all things together. We do this together. The next, next one, the last one today, it's not the last in that little verse, but it's the last one we're going to really dig into today is Panta Pistue, which means love believes all things. And again, I said it earlier because I want to make sure you hear, hear me on this. It does not mean you believe everything you hear. It doesn't mean you believe everything because there's a lot of nonsense that gets said, right? You're following me on this? It's just not everything is true. Some things are true, some things are not. This is not say that if you love somebody, you believe whatever nonsense they tell you. It's the opposite, actually. If you really love somebody, you hold to the truth and you do your best to bring them back around to it. You love them regardless. You love them if they believe a lie, but you don't fall for the lie. That's not what it means. What it does mean is very similar to the way that love is always in action in the Bible. Belief is as well. That's why Jesus said, for if you had believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote of me. In other words, it, 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 he, he didn't really like 
that he didn't really respect how much of an expert all the Pharisees were on word for word picking apart the Old Testament. He didn't, the reason he didn't respect it was not that that's not important or a good thing to do, but they had missed the whole point. They're looking at the Messiah that all the law and the prophets pointed to and getting ready to kill him because he threatens their power. He's like, if you really believed Moses, you would believe me. If you had really put your trust in everything that Moses and everybody else in the Old Testament was saying, you would put all your trust in me. You would act on that. So as we love, as we live in love, as little by little, little, by little we become more and more like Jesus, more and more like his kind of love, this is also true. We build and build on trust. Would you say that with me? We build and build on trust. Love is not naive. Love is not blind. It's not dumb. But love does knowingly risk everything. Love does take risks sometimes knowing that you're the one that's going to get hurt. Love does sometimes somehow keep offering a relationship when it doesn't make any sense. Love does keep believing. I, I, I love that even like kids today know that song, that classic rock song, Don't Stop Believing. Such a hopeful sounding song and they may not know all the words and I'm not sure I know all of them or like all of them, but everybody gets just all riled up and you, it's so cool at any concert or anything, you see a whole bunch of people going, don't stop believing. Even if they don't know what that means, that's, that's a cool idea. That energy of we're going to keep believing in this. I love when sports teams have really loyal fans and they know their team's never going to make it to the World Series or they're never going to, but they're going to be there anyway. Do you know what I'm talking about? We're going to keep believing. I, lo- we, I think we're drawn to stories like that, not because we love idiots, but because we love faith. We love the idea of sticking together regardless, even if we don't get it, even if we just think we like sports. Even if we just think we like whatever else it is that we're fans of, I think deep down inside there's something about the the broken, twisted, but still there image of God in all of us that's drawn to, I'm not going to give up on this. It could get better. If we just stay together, if we just keep on keeping on, it just might get better. Who knows? It's not naive, it's not dumb, it's not denial. It's just rock solid commitment that's going to be there regardless. And if you know anybody who's ever loved you like that, you know what I'm talking about. And no matter how painful it is and how just it wrecks you on a daily basis, if you've ever loved somebody else like that, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, my heart breaks for you. But would you join this family? There's a lot of people who do both of those here. Would you let us extend the love of Jesus to you? Because if you've never been loved that way and you've never loved somebody else like that way, you have never lived. That is what we were designed to experience. That's what we were created for. 
Again, the idea of belief it implies action. In Acts and so many other places, you see when somebody believes, that means they give their entire life to Jesus. Here's just one of many examples. Acts 18.8, just a glimpse in the middle of the expanding church's story. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. Many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. Jesus prayed for this uh, on the night that he went to be crucified. He said, I pray that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Again, Jesus' dream was not just that the world goes, okay, fine. I guess God sent him. He wants the whole world to jump in. He wants the whole world to put their faith in him. He wants the whole world to start loving this way. He wants the whole world to start becoming more and more like Jesus every day. Sometimes we're side by side with the people we love. When you're helping somebody through this, when we're doing all this, sometimes it's more of a coaching. And and if we're honest, all of us are both at some point. Sometimes in the same day, sometimes like a couple minutes apart in the same situation. But one of us is the one that's bringing the other one through and the other one's the one coming through. You know what I'm talking about? Does that make sense? We switch those places. But some of us are called, it's our role to be more of a coach. I'd like to just really quickly just encourage those of you who God has empowered to lead in an official way. All of us need to leave in some way. But if God has given you some of those gifts, some of those gifts where you are empowered to lead and teach others, I'd like you to remember this. A good coach, by and large at least, wins. It's not that you never lose, but if you never win, you're not a good coach. Does that make sense? Like you get the job done. A good coach is never selfish, they, they serve. A good coach is not about their own ego and their own resume and their own reputation. They're about taking the team where they need to go. A good coach does not scream and belittle and just be all angry. I know some fail and do that, but that's not what's good about a coach. A good coach draws others out Drowns out the other voices, the voices in their own head, the voices that say you cannot with words that say, yes, you can. A good coach sometimes yells or sometimes gets louder in your face, but not because they're screaming and telling the person they're a loser because they're trying to help them become more of a winner. And you, you know there's a difference. A really good coach is not all about bluster. It's not about just trying to appear like a good coach. A good coach is training their team. Trying to empower them to apply what they're teaching them. To become good athletes. To get better as they go. One of the most powerful scenes that I've ever seen that illustrates this is from a fairly old movie now called Facing the Giants. Has anybody ever seen this one? If you've never seen that movie, I encourage you to do it. It's in our church library. It's, I think it's streaming three or four places. It's, it, it's, it's a good movie. Um, but there's a scene in there where 
one of the main players in, on the team just doesn't think they have any chance at all. And the coach is trying to teach them otherwise. And so he gets him to put one of the other team members on his back and do a bear crawl and just see how far he can go. But he doesn't just do that. He blindfolds him. And he says, I don't want you to just go till you think you got to the 20 or the 30. I want you to just go as far as you can. And the guy's like, yeah, whatever, whatever. But he gets out there and I don't want to ruin it for you because it's just too powerful. I'm not going to try and act it out and be all the parts and, hey, I'm this guy. No, I'm this guy. That'd just ruin it. But let me tell you something. What happens is this. The kid doesn't just get to the 20. He makes the entire football field before he literally crumples. He never gives up. He's just... He finally, his arms just give out, but he's done five times more than he ever imagined he could. That's good coaching. That's love. That's doing it together. That's trusting, building trust and building on trust. Jesus Christ said, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you don't have the Holy Spirit of God in you, you can't love like this. Because it's not human. If you've ever seen that kind of love in me or any other Christian, it's not us. It's Jesus. If you've seen me or anybody else fail, that's us. You can blame that on us. But if you've seen us succeed, if you've seen us actually love that way, that's God. And if you'd like to know that, if you'd like to have that, and you don't, this is your chance. And some of you are so good at loving. You're way better. You're going, yeah, good job, John. You finally got it right. Yeah, that's right. There we go. There we go. That's true. That's true. I've known that for 50 years. Awesome. But I guarantee you that all of us, no matter how much we are becoming like Jesus, we can take another step that direction. Are you with me, brothers and sisters? And if that needs to be a big public step or that needs to be a small private one, I don't know what that needs to be for you, but would you make that right now? I'm going to be at the back if you just want private prayer. My dad's going to be up here at the front if you'd like to make a, a public decision. But we invite you. Let's get better at this together. Let's keep going until it can be true of each one of us. We are love just like God is love.